full gospel. And uh, it might be totally not on or anything. All right. I can do it. Oh, there you go. There it is. User error. Can we hear me? There it is. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, what was I doing the other day? Oh, I know. I was working. I've been doing all this repair at my house and stuff. I actually, seriously, I fixed my stove. That's, if anyone knows me, that they would know that's a supernatural miracle. So, um, no, really. I mean, the Lord did help me, but I'm being a little silly. Yeah, it's like a signs and wonders. Uh, no, but I was trying to fix, um, I was working on something, a plumbing thing, and, uh, and so I went to the hardware store and I asked the guy some questions, and he said, well, maybe, you know, maybe you have a faulty thing, and I said, no, I'm pretty sure it's user error, <laughs> so that's what I told the guy at the hardware store, uh, so there it is, user error, but uh, where were we at here? So we're, we're going to, what I want to talk to you about today is, uh, I want to talk to you about the full gospel, and before I do that, though, before we look at Romans 1, Tom Ward, uh, right there, Tom, gave me a word uh, from the Lord uh, in that time where we were just receiving from him. Give me a word from the Lord. He said it was to me for the church. And it's from Revelation chapter 3. Just listen. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these things say, oh, I'm sorry, these things says he who is holy, Jesus is talking here, he who is true. He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. And this church, Philadelphia, was being persecuted. But if you go to Revelation, most of your, of your uh, Bible Bibles will have a heading, it's not in the original, but it says the faithful church. And what Tom said as he came up to me, he says, the word of the Lord is, you're faithful. And the Lord said that to us, that we're faithful, that he's the one who opens doors and he's the one who closes doors. And he says, I know your works, you've kept my word, that we as a church, we've kept his word, and that the Lord is going to open a door and no one's going to be able to shut it. And there are doors he's probably going to close and no one's going to be able to open them. And so even today, as I bring the word to you, the Lord is opening doors that no man will be able to shut. And he's calling us to continue to walk in that faithfulness. Um, It's a good word, amen? Amen. So today, I want to talk to you about the full gospel. And I am talking to a faithful church. I love you guys. And... uh, Here we go. This is the word of the Lord. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says as he begins Romans chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, he's introducing himself. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which, okay, hold on a sec. So he says, I'm an apostle for the gospel of God, and then he's going to explain, verse 2, which, and he's going to explain what that gospel is. He's going to tell us what the gospel is. And so he goes on. Separated for the gospel of God, right? I'm set apart. I'm called to the gospel of God. He says, which he, God, promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures 
concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. Through him, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. And so he says that the gospel of God, God's good news, that's what gospel means, was promised through the prophets. So it's based upon the Old Testament prophecies and scriptures. But he says it's concerning his son Jesus. Did you know that the gospel is about Jesus? That's what Paul says. And if you read the book of Acts, from beginning to end, they keep, it keeps saying this. It keeps, it keeps saying, they preached Christ. That's what it says. They didn't preach an idea, a philosophy. They proclaimed, they declared, they explained to people Christ, a person, the person, right, who is God in human flesh. And he goes on, he explains how Jesus came in the flesh. He was the son of David, but he's also the son of God. And he says that that all of us have received grace through the gospel. All of us have received this grace, right? Grace being that free gift of salvation, forgiveness of our sins. We've been made right with God. And it says, he says, we, we've received grace and apostleship, referring to the calling of God on every believer and the the calling of God on God's church to bring the gospel. Where? To all nations, he says in verse 5, calling all people to what's called the obedience of faith. People who put their trust in Jesus and follow him. And so he says, this is the gospel. If you look over in verse 16, he continues to talk about the gospel. And he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's a lot of different ways that that people in the New Testament talk about the gospel. The gospel of the kingdom of God. The gospel of God. The gospel of Christ. There's just these different ways to say it. It's all saying the same thing. Oftentimes when you hear the phrase, the word of God, it's not referring always to the whole Bible, but to the message or the good news of salvation in Christ. So he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. He says, this message that's about Christ, the gospel is always about Christ. He is the content of the gospel. He is the message itself. We're always talking about who Christ is and what God has done in Christ. What God has revealed himself to be like in Christ and what God has done in Christ. And he says, this message is the power of God to save. Literally, when we bring the message to people, it carries the power of God to make happen what the person is proclaiming. It's the power of God. To salvation, the word salvation there, it comes from the Greek word soteria. Soteria. And and basically this word can be translated, as many of you know, sal- salvation as it is here, or, and it's a noun, or rescue, protection, healing. The, the verb that's, that's similar to this word soteria is the Greek word sozo. Soteria is the noun, and the verb is sozo, to save, oftentimes translated to rescue, to deliver, to heal, to protect, to bless. it's an umbrella word, the same way we would use the word rescue or help me, or I've come to help you, or help has arrived. It's it's an umbrella word that can mean so many different things 
And it's basically a comprehensive, dynamic concept of somebody coming and rescuing us from something that's not good and bringing us to something that is good. Rescuing us from death, bringing us to life. And, and Paul is saying here that it's the gospel of Christ, this gospel that's about Jesus, that, that it, it, it is the power of God to bring this rescue to our lives. And he goes on and he says it's for everyone who believes because faith is the way we receive it. And he explains it for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Verse 17, for in it, the gospel, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. He says that this gospel reveals God's righteousness. And what what that means is that, and we've been learning this for a while actually, that God's love and God's righteousness gets revealed in Christ and in this proclaiming of the gospel so that people see who God really is. And what happens is when you see God's righteousness, you see that our righteousness is like filthy rags, the Bible says. You see God's righteousness and you realize, my goodness, we could never save ourselves. We could never earn forgiveness. We could never make ourselves right with God. We can never earn eternal salvation. And yet God has revealed his righteousness in that he took our, his, our sin upon himself, bore our sin to forgive our sin and make us right with himself. And, and as you guys know, you read through the whole book of Romans, and I've encouraged you to do that if you haven't done it recently. And Paul explains, doesn't he, how God in Christ has made us right with himself. All by the grace of God, right? Nothing we could ever earn. It's by the blood of Jesus. And he goes on, remember, we've looked at this, how we're dead to sin. That literally the spirit of Christ is dwelling inside of us, empowering us to walk in freedom from sin and death and walk in the victory that God has brought us. And Paul explains this in chapter three, in chapter four, in chapter five, chapter six, chapter seven, chapter eight, right? You go through this and you realize, oh my goodness, now that we're right with God, I have favor from God, I have peace with God. He actually likes me, right? We've been talking about this, that we, we're encountering God's love. We're finding out who we are in Christ. And what we've been doing probably for months now is we've been receiving the gospel. We've been receiving and understanding God's love for us and who we are in Christ and what it means to be made right with God. God has been revealing his righteousness to us these last number of months. And we've been receiving it by faith. Now jump over to Romans 15. Because at the end of this book, Paul says something else about the gospel that is absolutely essential for us to understand. So like I said, he starts off this book by saying, this is the gospel, it's about Christ. This is the gospel, it's the power of God to save, it reveals his righteousness. And then all throughout this book of Romans, he's explaining our righteousness in Christ, how God has worked salvation, redemption for us, how God has saved us. And then here we are, we get to Romans 15, and he, and he ends by talking to this church in Rome, this is the Christians in Rome, about his own ministry. And he says this in verse 14. So Romans 15, verse 14. I'm going to read a bunch of verses here. I'm probably going <clears> to <throat> read about seven verses here. So flow with me. Now I myself am confident Concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. So he's telling the church in Rome, I'm convinced, I'm confident, you guys are good church. You guys know the gospel. You guys are, are, are walking in the gospel and loving one another. This is what he's saying. He, he's affirming them. 
But he says in verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God. He says, I've been really bold on some points. And if you read backwards, he, he confronted them with some areas of loving one another and stuff. And, and, and he just was really straightforward about the gospel. And, and, and he was, in fact, in chapter one, he was real straightforward about uh, uh, the wrath of God being against sin. And chapter two, he really confronted people who were prideful and thinking that they could earn their salvation. I mean, he, so he's really strong on some points and really bold in declaring our salvation. So he's saying, I was really bold to, and by the way, he'd never met this church. Right? They knew probably about him and stuff, but he'd never met this church. But he says to them, I wrote this to you because of the grace given to me. What does he mean? He doesn't mean grace referring to his salvation. He's referring to his ministry. You know, we're saved by grace, but we also receive a calling by God, from God by grace. And he says, I've got this grace on my life. I've been called to be an apostle. And this is why I've written to you. Listen to what he says. Verse 16. This grace has been given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, right? I'm a servant of Jesus and I've been sent to the Gentiles, people who aren't Jewish, because I've been called to bring them the gospel is what he's saying. And he says, so let me say that again, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, listen, ministering the gospel of God. I've been called to serve people by bringing them this gospel. This is why I wrote to you so boldly. This is why I'm so bold before you in writing. And he says, he goes on, and, he, and he's saying, I, I'm called to this ministering the gospel of God, and he says that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable sanctified by the Holy Spirit. As you've heard me say often, it's not just non-believers that need to hear the gospel. Christians need to hear the gospel. It's because we become like Jesus by being with him and by hearing his word. And he's saying, I am passionate not just to lead people to get saved, but to sanctify them, basically disciple them, make them more like Christ so that I could present to God the offering of the Gentiles, a people who are set apart for God, who are holy like God is holy like the things that we've been talking about these last number of weeks. He says, this is why I've been called. This is why I preach the gospel to you. This is why I've been so bold. And I love this. This is when he gets into his main point here. Verse 18. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me. He's going to talk about what God has accomplished through him. You've got to stop and think about that for a second. God has accomplished something through me. He says, I'm not going to boast. I'm not going to talk about something that I didn't do. I'm only going to boast about the things that God has accomplished through me. That's really important. You'll find this equation all throughout the book of Acts. That God does things through people. Oftentimes it'll say signs and wonders done by the hands of the disciples and the apostles. We're part of that equation, aren't we? That God is the source, and we are agents and partnering and conduits of his kingdom to come. And he says, I'm not going to boast about stuff that I haven't done, but I'm, I'm only going to talk about the things that God has accomplished, or Christ, specifically here, Christ has accomplished through me. Listen how he describes what Christ has accomplished through him. Listen, very specifically. I'm going to only talk about the things that Christ has accomplished through me. What has he accomplished through him? In word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and roundabout to Illyricum, I have fully preached the 
gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where I was named. I'm sorry, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. He goes on. Now, many of you know Paul's lifestyle, don't you? You know that he was called out of a church called Antioch, and he and Barnabas, and then later some other friends, he, he began to build kind of a team around him, traveled all over the Roman world and went from city to city to city and did what? Preached the gospel, led people to Jesus, right? Discipled them, formed churches, right? He's known as one of the first missionaries and the first church planners. And he wrote so much in the New Testament and we go, oh, this guy's amazing, right? And here he is saying, I don't, I'm not going to boast about stuff that Christ hasn't done through me, but I want to tell you what Christ has done through me. And so he's talking about what Christ has done through him. And he says specifically in verse 18, what Christ has done is he's used me to make Gentiles obedient. God has used me to call people who were uh, idol worshipers and demon worshipers and living according to this worldly culture, and he's used me to bring them what's called to the obedience of faith, that they put their trust in Jesus because I declared who Jesus was to them, and they repented, and they are following Jesus. And literally, Paul, from Jerusalem, around about to Lycrium, what he's talking about is that he's traveled all over this, this particular, uh, he went what's to known-day Turkey, he went to known-day uh, modern-day Greece, I mean, he's been all over that. And later he ended up going to Rome and all these different places. Church tradition says he went even to Spain. That he went all these different places, going where people had never heard Jesus, heard about Jesus, so he could bring the gospel to them. But listen to how he describes his preaching. That Christ has accomplished it through me. He says in verse 18, in word and deed, to make the Gentiles obedient, in mighty signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God. Now that word by is the same Greek word as the two first ins. In, word and deed, it's a Greek word, en. In, mighty signs and wonders, and in, the power of the Spirit of God. He describes his ministry as in word and in deed, in mighty signs and wonders, and in the power of the Spirit. This is what Christ accomplished through Paul. Paul, right? It's right there, right there in the text. And then he says, so that, so that, it's the result of what Christ has accomplished through him. He says, so that, from Jerusalem and around about to Elycrim, I, Fully preached the gospel. You don't fully preach the gospel unless it's accompanied by the signs and wonders and by the power of the Holy Spirit. The full gospel, the word full here just means complete. Complete, full, whole. The whole gospel, Paul says, I fully preached the gospel. Fully preached the gospel. The result being that people came to Jesus and were obedient to him. Right? Not just raised hands and weren't changed. But he says, I fully preached the gospel. How did, how did he do that? He told you right there. If you read it, he says, in word and deed. Word and deed. The gospel 
is not just words. The gospel is not just a story. It's not just a message. It's not an idea or a philosophy or a religion or an ideology. The gospel is about a person, a real person, God's son who became man. It's about a real kingdom that has really come and broken into this world. And the full gospel is the gospel preached with power. That's it. Don't get anything else. That's it. That the full gospel, the gospel fully preached, as Paul says right here, is the gospel preached with power, the power of the Holy Spirit. When God confirms, demonstrates, proves that the message is true. It's not necessarily new news to many of us here. But I think some of us are hungry for this. We're hungry to see the fullness of God's kingdom. But no matter what, no matter the level of our hunger, our desire, or the level of our faith, the Lord is calling us to increase that. But there's a lot of us, we weren't raised with thinking that way. We weren't raised like that. We don't even think like that right now. For me to say that to you right now, like your brain goes tilt. Because it doesn't fit in the box that you've heard before. And that's the horrible thing, is that we have heard gospels that were powerless. And we have been okay with it. And we were told the gospel without power was the true gospel. But when the gospel comes without power, it's not the full gospel. And that's what Paul says. I fully preached the gospel in signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, in word and deed. And shouldn't that be what we expect from a real king with a real kingdom? Amen? I, I don't know what it is. You, you, nowadays, it's, it's okay. Uh, uh, you, you have, you have uh, it's okay to just say, oh, we're not that denomination. It's just, it's just not our, this is not what we do in this denomination. It's not about denominations. It's not the gospel of such and such denominations, the gospel of such and such. It's the gospel of the kingdom. It's about Jesus. Oh, oh, but, but I mean, um, I, I understand, so like, like, healing, like, I understand, like, okay, so like, God heals people, um, and what we've done, okay, so like, in the worst case scenario, there's these, there's these, uh, scholars, I don't want to, I don't want to label them, there's people out there, <laughs> who are probably wonderful people, who, they literally, they do what they call, what, this, what scholars call, redaction, they, 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 they call it demythologizing the Bible. They read the Gospels, okay? They read the Gospels, and they ignore or extract the miracles. They, 
they just, you know, that's just the early church just kind of like, you know, sticking a, sticking a little uh, air pump in Jesus and puffing up those muscles, right? Making Jesus look bigger than he really is. Deifying him as if he wasn't God in human flesh, right? And, and they just kind of, you know, just, pu- just, just the early church made that up. These are myths. When we all know that the Gospels were written just a couple decades after Jesus rose from the grave by eyewitnesses, you know, it's not like they were written hundreds of years later, mythological legend accounts or something like that. This is absolutely ridiculous. Why do they do that? Right? Because it doesn't fit in their paradigm, huh? But then, but then you know, there, there's, other, there's other preachers out there, there's other churches that bless them. They preach the gospel. I mean, people come to Jesus. They are great churches. I respect these men and women of God. And yet, they'll, they'll turn to a story about Jesus healing a leper, and they'll talk about, no, Jesus touches you in that hurting place where you're in. And he wants to heal you emotionally. And by the way, that's a good word, you know? That's a good word. Wants to heal us emotionally. Amen? Forgiveness and... Jesus was an inner healer. Forgiveness and repentance, right? He taught us how to find wholeness on the inside. He talked to a crippled man and said, your sins are forgiven. And you have these preachers, wonderful preachers, who will say, see, there's Jesus. Just such a nice guy. Inner healing. Just forgiving that dude. And they spiritualize. They don't, they don't take them out. They don't take out the stories of the Gospels. But they spiritualize them. They allegorize them. I've done it when I was a new Christian. And like I said, it's not necessarily wrong. You're reading the Gospels and Jesus speaks to you. How he, he knows you're hurting and he touches you. Like he touched the, amen. Oh, I'm the leper, Jesus, heal me. You know, I mean, that's great stuff. Praise God. The Spirit of God can speak to us through the Gospels. And I'm not saying that's wrong or anything like that. But the problem is they spiritualized it. They've allegorized it. And they've taken away the point. Because if you just read the Gospels and you just read Acts, did he come and was not, oh, you have such an inner problem, Mr. Leper. I love you. Let me heal. You don't really need healing physically. What you really need is eternal salvation. I'm just, I'm trying, get over your leprosy. Like, it's okay if your fingers are falling off. You need to go to heaven. I'm tr- I am the Savior here. I know what you need. I, I'm not here to give you what you want, selfish little guys here. I am here to give you what you need. And the problem with allegorizing those things, obviously, is that, guess what? Forgive me for being a little intense, but he healed the dude, Right? The guy was a leper, and then he wasn't. The guy was laying on a bed, a cripple, can't walk, impossible. He said, I forgive you, and then said, uh, you guys want me to prove that I forgave his sin? All right, get up, rise and walk. He healed him. He sozoed him. He gave him soteria. The same word, sozo, that's used for our eternal salvation. 
to be saved is the same word for, used for physical healing. And in fact, there are other words for physical healing. There's like three, four words used for physical healing. And yet oftentimes Jesus chose to use the word sozo because he's a real king and a real savior. Last time I checked, sin brought sickness and disease and death into this world, right? Romans chapter five, if you don't know, right? And the last time I checked, Jesus came to restore and redeem the whole thing. The last time I checked, Jesus came and said, uh, the spirit of the sovereign Lord's on me. He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to bind up the broken hearts. That's inner healing, right? And to set the captives free and to give sight to the blind. In the preaching of the words coming out of Jesus' mouth, what happened? People got healed, right? And, and did that stop with Jesus? Oh, yeah, no, no. I'm pretty sure that just stopped, right, guys? No, the disciples moved in that. When we do not bring the gospel with power to people, we do not bring to them the full gospel. I don't know what it is that we think it's okay to segment and compartmentalize as if salvation is over here and healing's over here. Do you realize what you're doing? Because see, at best, healing is an appendage to the gospel, isn't it? You don't, we don't, it's not the most important thing, David. Well, we all know we need to go to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Okay? But it's not an appendage. You want to know why? Because the gospel is about who? We're not talking about a gospel of this and a gospel of that and a gospel of this. We're talking about the gospel of who? Somebody tell me. Come on, preach it to me. Jesus! You can't separate him. You can't be like, well, he's not really um, Lord and King of the universe and going to come and rule over the nations. You know, you got to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. You know what I'm saying? I know there's some people who have accepted Jesus as Savior, but now it's time to accept Jesus as Lord. You can't accept Jesus as Savior if he's not Lord. He is the Lord who came to save. Not the Savior who's like, oh, can I please be Lord now? He is the savior amen he is the healer amen he is the baptizer in the spirit and he is the soon and coming king the lord of heaven and earth that is the full gospel i'm telling you people who do not preach the gospel with power it's like the ice cream man with no ice cream do you remember when you were a little kid? Right? You're playing with your friends or you're playing by yourself. That was usually me. No, uh, and <laughs> hanging out in your house and you hear that creepy music <laughs> coming over those messed up speakers, right? I mean, it's like, oh my goodness, right? Nowadays, as parents were like, oh, oh. You know, nowadays, the ice cream man don't come down our streets, you know? <laughs> You, this little, this nasty van that probably would get like a D on the ratings or something, coming down with this scary music, you know, that just screaming messages to parents they don't want to hear. And, 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 and it's coming down slowly like a drive-by, you know, like, you know. And what do we do? What do we do as kids? Oh, 
yeah. You run to your piggy bank. I mean, you get the sledgehammer and break it open. And you grab the money and you run outside. And all the kids running to the ice cream man. And he stops and he opens the door. And you got the, the, the pictures of the ice cream. Just, oh, I want you know, I mean, it's like, it's seriously, I mean, these marketers are amazing, right? It's not like, oh, I want the pink one. It's like, it's got to be SpongeBob. I mean, what it, it doesn't, let me tell you, it doesn't even look like SpongeBob. It's, it's like this, you know, it's like this blob of ice cream and they put a packaging on it and they just sell. Okay, so it's but counterfeit, lies, okay? But, okay, the kids run up to the ice cream man. It's the ice cream man, right? And they run up to the ice cream man, and he opens the door, and he says, well, I don't have any ice cream for you. What? Well, yeah, but I can tell you about there once was a man who was an ice cream man, and he had ice cream. Okay. And, 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 and this man had ice cream. Do Little boys and girls, can I tell you about that ice cream man? Sure. Yeah. And I'll tell you, he had ice cream. Well, where's he at? I mean, right? Every child, every adult. I have a question. I mean, you. oh, we had this wonderful ice cream. It looked like SpongeBob. It actually looked like SpongeBob? Yeah. Where can I find that ice cream man? Right? Isn't that what people are asking? Where can I find that ice cream man? Where can I find this Jesus? Where can I hear the full gospel? That's not just an idea or a story from the past. It's not just the story of God from the past. It's the story that is now, right? Not just was his story, but is his story. It's his story that's breaking into our lives. This is the gospel that Paul preached in every city, Every time you read the book of you read the gospels and you read the book of Acts and what happened preaching teaching and healing casting out demons why because that's the full gospel you can't read the gospels and the book of Acts and not see that you have to either demythologize it or allegorize it away and i know we have questions i hope right now i hope i hope you're asking the question I really do. I really hope that you're going. I hope someone here is going. So, like it happens in other countries, but I, it doesn't really happen here though, right? It doesn't really happen in America anymore, like we, right? Because we don't really need that. We have doctors. Or like, well, how come we don't really see it happening? I hope someone's asking that question. Like, I hope someone's like, like, it really? Like, like, well, how come so-and-so didn't get healed? I hope someone's asking that question. That's good, isn't it? Because if that's the full gospel, and we've met the ice cream man, well, we're like, where's the ice cream? If we've met the gospel, Jesus, it's about Jesus, and we've met Jesus, then show me Jesus. I want to meet Jesus, right? And if we're bringing Jesus to people, we would have to look in our own lives, not condemning Where's Jesus? Am I bringing them Jesus? Am I introducing them to Jesus, the full gospel, word and deed, and the power of his spirit? And it should cause us to ask questions. What does that look like? I mean, do we have to be like kooky? Right? It should cause us to go, uh, are you talking about like those weird people? Why should I react to a counterfeit? 
Why should I react to some guy who's like, hey, God can make you a millionaire, so send me a hundred dollars. Why should I react to a, a counterfeit when I have the real deal? Man, you, you know what you do with a counterfeit, right? You ever, yeah, we all worked at fast food. Okay, maybe not everyone. I did. You put the pen and you see the counterfeit. What do you do? Do we study counterfeits? Do we obsess about counterfeits? Dude, throw the thing away, right? Rip it in the person's face. No, I mean, ain't taking your money. Give me a real one. I don't need to react to counterfeits. I understand. Some of you have been hurt by counterfeits, you know? Some crazy, I don't know, preacher trying to manipulate. I'm, I, I'm sure they're out there. But why when we have the real thing in, in the Word? When we have the real Jesus, right? So questions, we've got questions. And what does it look like? Do we have to be weird? Why? Why not? Why couldn't it be? That we're living for Jesus and giving our life away for Jesus. And sure, we're going to be kind of weird. That's what the word holy means. But not weird because we are socially awkward or manipulating people. But because we love and because we make different choices than people and we live differently. And we say, can I pray for you about that? And God shows up. And they go, whoa, your God's real. Just turn like a couple pages to the right to 1 Corinthians 2. 1 Corinthians 2. I love this. I just do this. It's amazing. Amazing, this little finger. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Listen to what Paul says in verse 1. And I, brethren, he's talking to the church at Corinth, a different church than the church at Rome. Listen to what he says. I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There it is again. Do you see that? I came saying, look, I mean, dude, I'm not a Greek philosopher. I mean, by the way, Paul's brilliant, okay? He's a great communicator, so he's kind of being falsely humble. No, I'm just joking. But he's like a great communicator. But he's coming to these people who worship reasoning, worship the intellect, and think that, hey, we're Greek. Everything comes from the Greek. You know what I'm saying? We're good to go. And he's coming to them and he says, I didn't come to you with persuasive words of human wisdom. I didn't try to come with excellence of speech trying to be this amazing orator, which he probably was anyways. But People probably accused him of like having weird ideas of the resurrection of the dead. They didn't think that was normal. And they probably, they literally, you know, in Athens, they called him a bird brain. They called him a bird brain in like a scholarly city. Would that hurt your uh, identity? I mean, seriously, most of us react and we go get a de- two, three, four degrees on apologetics and a PhD and go back and, and, and be relevant. No, you know what he did? They called him a bird brain and he just preached the gospel. And he used their philosophy. It was hilarious. He actually was very relevant, very relevant. But he just preached Christ. He didn't change the message. I'm not, I'm not saying apologetics are bad. But he says, I, I didn't come to you with that. I came to you declaring Christ and him crucified, right? Who Christ is, what he has done. And he goes on and he says, and he explains it. Verse 3, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And my speaking and my preaching were not with persuasive Words of human wisdom. 
just fluffy, flattery, trying to convince you, make you feel good. No, just preach Christ to you. And he says, I love this, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. The Spirit and of power. Listen, why? That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Do you know what the word demonstrate means? Proof. It means to show someone proof. To say, I came to you and I preached Christ and I proved it to you. God confirming the preaching with signs and wonders. God evidencing and demonstrating and proving that what I was saying is actually true. That Christ is Savior, Healer. King, that Christ really has risen from the grave. Really, guy, a dude rose from the dead. Yeah, and he's going to come and be king on this world, king over this earth, really. And he's going to restore all things, yeah, totally, and forgive every one of your sins. I mean, literally, born again on the inside. Wow, that's, that's kind of cool. I mean, I like that. My creator going to forgive me, and wow, that's kind of cool. Yeah, let me prove it to you. Let me demonstrate how the kingdom of God comes to you. Because when you preach about something that's real, it really manifests, doesn't it? Right? I heard, I heard an illustration one time where, you know, it's like a lot of times we're like vacuum cleaner salesmen with no vacuums. You know, we come to the door, we knock on people's door, and we want to tell them, you need a vacuum. Let me give you 20 reasons why you need a vacuum. And we're going to do apologetics on why our vacuum is so amazing. And then we want to, and then and we throw dirt on the carpet and say, and say, see, you're dirty. Dirty. You're a dirty rotten, bad at house cleaning. You need my vacuum. And they go, oh my goodness, uh, totally, I, you're so right. I need a vacuum. Please, could you give me that vacuum? And they're like, oh, uh, I don't have one. But I know, like I said, it's like, oh, I know a guy who used to have one. We tell people, when you're, we're not preaching a Western gospel. We're preaching the gospel of the kingdom of someone, God kingdom of God and Jesus is the real king of a real kingdom and when you come and you say yeah you need Jesus (laughs) would you like to meet him we can demonstrate we can lay hands on people and they will recover that's what the Bible says you will lay hands on people and they will recover you will cast out demons in Jesus name we need the gifts of the spirit because we can demonstrate to people that God really does love them Like I said about the leper, well, you know, I really love you, but sorry, can't do anything about that leprosy. Did Jesus say that? No. And what do people do? Oh, Jesus was so loving, he did nice things for people. Right. Like cast out demons, right? Like heal leprosy. He was really nice, wasn't he? In fact, it's literally in the Bible, his his, his healings were called good deeds, good works. Just like feeding the poor is called a good work. We're supposed to do it all. All of it. All of it is the full gospel. And so Paul says, I came to prove to you. Why? So your faith wouldn't be in me or in my words, just me arguing and proving something to you with my human wisdom, but that you would encounter him, that you would experience him, that the kingdom would come into your life and you would know God. Your faith would be in the power of God. How many of you talk like that? That my faith is in God's power god's power now there's a story in acts chapter 14 you can turn there if you'd like but i just want to i just want to show you this story really quick here acts 14 
And, and in this story, listen to this in verse 8. Paul is traveling around to a city called Lystra. It's one of my favorite stories of Paul's ministry. But remember, every city, every time he preached, every time Jesus preached, healing happened. You know, it's not like, well, you know, Dave, could you, you know, we just like do a little one message a year and we'll lay hands on people, you know. But don't make it a big deal. You know, don't make that healing stuff a big deal, you know. Well, uh, last time I checked, these guys did it everywhere, every time. Because they were demonstrating. And so Paul, he's traveling around in verse 8. And it says, in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. What was Paul preaching? He's preaching the word of grace, uh, the gospel of God, right? Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. You know what that word is right there? Sozo. Should be translated, saved. Hmm. Now, see, Westerners, we go, oh, well, we can't really translate it saved because, you know, like he's going to get healed in just a second. Paul, the, 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 the writer of Acts, the Holy Spirit, couldn't be referring to like eternal salvation because those two are separate things. They're separate, aren't they? Why, why, why are they separate when you're putting your trust in one person? Literally, this man had never walked. Legs that have never walked. There is no reason why he should expect to walk. This man has never heard the gospel. Highly unlikely. Paul's the first guy. There might not even be Jewish people here. He, they actually had to send people to like persecute Paul. They, this is a pagan city. They worshipped Zeus. This man is a pagan. And he's hearing the gospel probably for the first time. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The gospel is coming to him. Faith is rising in his heart. And he actually believes faith to be healed. Faith to be sozoed, to be saved. He actually believes this Jesus could heal me. Honestly, we don't know. But maybe he believed the whole thing. Savior, healer. Baptizer in the spirit, soon incoming king. Maybe he's like, dude, I'll take the whole thing. But honestly, what kind of gospel is Paul preaching that this dude who's never walked thought he could walk? What gives him the license to think that? How many of you in Sunday school or in a church, you're hearing the gospel preached and you think, oh, I could walk. I how many people preach a gospel that causes people to believe that the kingdom could break into their life right here, right now? Because we don't preach the full gospel. And yet somehow, whatever, Paul, whatever gospel Paul's preaching, he's preaching it the right way. And this, he's preaching Christ. He's preaching Christ and him crucified. Of course he's talking about forgiveness of sin. Of course he's talking about being made right with God. Of course he's talking about, you know, Jesus coming back and ruling over the earth. Yeah, that's, oh, that's the full gospel. And of course he's talking about healing. And this man, who's never walked, believes he could be sozoed. And Paul looks at him, verse 10, and he said with a loud voice, Stand up! Straight on your feet! Get up! And the man stands up, healed. Never walked, instantaneously, muscles grew back, and his ability to walk there, 
instantaneously. That is healing, but that is also called a miracle. A miracle. It's not like, oh, your little pinky got fixed. That is a miracle. That is literally what a sign and a wonder is in the New Testament. That's what it means. And this is how he preached the gospel. And this is how he planted churches. This is the full gospel. Listen to the word of the Lord. You already have been. Listen. We were praying the other day. Scott said, I feel like the Lord is saying we need to reject a powerless gospel. Scott, Scott, uh, uh, similar to Tom, have a prophetic gifting. So I listen to the prophets, right? No, he, no, I've already been, I've been hearing the Lord tell me this. Probably almost a year ago, the Lord told me about 2012. He spoke to me before 2012, about 2012. And he's told me, David, gospel with power. I was like, ooh, that sounds exciting. And he said to me, he began to show me, is what he did. He began to paint the picture in my heart. David, the water level will rise 2012. The water level will rise. The gospel with power. People will begin to believe the gospel, own the gospel, live the gospel, and communicate the gospel more than they have been. Let's say you got a guy, you know, who's really bold and going for it, and we all think, oh, I wish I could be like that. He's going to rise. He, she's going to rise. And then you got a person over here in our church who's like, I don't want to touch that. Don't want to go. I don't want to share my faith. And I'm telling you, Fear. God's perfect love is going to drive out fear. You're going to be compelled by love. And the water level of confidence and the gospel is going to rise in your heart. You're going to believe the gospel like never before. You're going to walk in it. You're going to communicate it. It's going to look like us building relationships with people who don't know Jesus in real, natural, respectful, loving ways. And it's going to look like the water level of God's power rising in us, meaning our faith to freely receive and freely give. That the water level is going to rise. That we're going to believe God for this. We're going to hunger for it more. And then we're going to see it more. Every single one of us, no matter where you are at in this journey, you have tons of questions, but you would say, Lord, show me. Answer my questions. Give me hunger. No matter where you're at, break my fear. Give me compassion. No matter where you're at, the water level will rise. And the word of the Lord, I agree with Scott's word. The Lord is inviting us, reject a powerless gospel, listen, embrace the powerful one, the full gospel, the complete gospel with power. That's the word of the Lord. How do we do it? What does it look like? We're going to press into that this whole summer. We're just going to press into that. For, For us, amen, it's going to look like us receiving, but it's also going to mean us giving it away. But, I mean, it looks like Kurt just like walking up to somebody at his library and just praying for them. It looks like my wife uh, praying with, with somebody and, flow with me here, binding a demon and then saying, now do you want to accept Jesus? And the, Actually, she didn't even ask the question. She bound the demon and then he goes, what do I need to do to get saved? That's what it looks like. What what does it look like? It looks like me getting to share the gospel with a young man because I had a word of knowledge about his mom. What does it look like? Encouraging people with prophetic words, moving in the gifts of the Spirit, us seeing healing, ministering to one another, as well as taking the gospel out. What does it look like? The full gospel. Amen? Amen. Oh, and come on up. Oh, and I'm going to... Go ahead and respond. I believe I need to lead us in prayer uh, initially. Please go ahead.